would you help us today discern and hear your word that we may walk in strength. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning I want to talk to you about what's wrong with everything. There's something wrong with everything. Do you feel that way? Wherever you turn, there's something wrong. Something wrong with just about everything. But I have to give a warning and a disclaimer, please. What I'm about to share with you has nothing to do with any conversation I had with any of you. So don't think I'm trying to preach a message to you because of something we discussed a week ago or two weeks ago. I wrote this message a month ago. God poured it into my heart. It fermented in Cuba, and I, at four in the morning, was under my covers finishing it off. So this has nothing to do with any of you in our conversations or discussions so that I'm not trying to get my opinion into you. I'm just giving you the word of the Lord. So I have to begin with that and just tell you, we complain about everything. So who complains? Old people complain. Now you discern what's old. I'm going to leave that to you, but you guess what? Young people complain. We're a society of complainers. In the West, here in the United States, we have come to a place to be professional experts on everything. How many of you know that? We know what's right and wrong about everything. And so what's wrong? Everything. Everything's delayed. Everything's too late. Everything's done wrong. Everything's not in our time. And everything's done poorly compared to what we would expect and what we want. So let me get right to the point. What's wrong with everything? It's really simple. Sin. Okay? Could we just figure this out right now? Sin's the problem to everything. And that's the problem. Hardened hearts, a broken and fallen world, and fallen people. So what's wrong with everything? Sin's wrecked everything. How about with you? You're the sign of perfection. You're the emblem of what is right about the world, aren't you? You know, it's interesting. Christians are some of the biggest people to complain about everything because we have an opinion about everything based on the idea that we have an expectation way up here, right? How many of you got saved? And how many of you expect Christians to behave better than they do? Come on, how many of you expect that? That's why all of us are offended when we go to church. How many of you know that? It's true, we all have such a high expectation. And when we make a mistake, we expect everybody to forgive us. But when someone else makes a mistake, we recognize that they're carnal. A lot of this is based on what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so the bar for us as Christians is what? Perfection. Right? And so we have an expectation of perfection. Now, we would understand that the world out there should be a little better at everything, but they're not. But of course, in the church, we are better at everything. And when we're not, we miss that bar of perfection. Any of you ever feel that uh, people have let you down in the church? People are failing miserably? They call us hypocrites in church. 
everybody's a hypocrite, so you might as well go to church. We can solve that problem right away. What's funny is when people say, well, hypocrites go to church, it's then, well, then why aren't you there? I mean, it's an invitation to church. When you hear someone use that excuse, the church is full of hypocrites, then you can say, well, then why are you not there? That's an open invitation. So what's the problem? Well, we, our expectations are so high that we judge others on their actions, but we judge ourselves on our intentions. Our intentions are always good. How many of you have good intentions? Right? You know what pave, road that paves. But anyways, we all have good intentions, and so we all judge each other on, we judge others, we want others to judge us on our good intentions, but we judge everybody else on their performance. The Western mind rates and evaluates everything according to performance, performance, performance. And so when we read this verse, we think, be perfect. Your performance must be perfect. But the problem in the New Testament is a poor translation into English. For the word for perfection in the Bible, in English, is not perfection of performance. The word in Greek actually means wholeness or complete. So we are to be complete as our Heavenly Father is complete. That means lacking nothing. Now we may perform poorly, though we lack nothing. God has provided by His grace everything we need, but our performance is a work in progress. Can you agree with that? Can everybody agree with that? Are you all a work in progress? So if we judge everybody according to performance of perfection, we're all going to be miserable. And we're all going to complain because everything's wrong with everything. But if we would begin to recognize that it's a wholeness that we're walking towards, and it's not a performance base. Christianity is not a performance base. It's walking out the wholeness that God provides for us. The completeness. There are times there are holes in my walk. But God, if He'll show me, He'll sustain me, and He'll bring me into a wholeness. So that's what we need to do. Stop rating life on performance by your expectations, but give grace to others for their wholeness, for their completeness. God is completing us. And He's not done with me yet. I don't know about you. I hope He's still working with you. Unless you feel you've arrived. But here's what I think has happened. We've corrupted the armor of God. And the armor of God has shifted from the helmet of salvation to the helmet of salivation. We, we, have, we salivate over everything else. We have envy over everything else. We're critical. Wish I had that. Wish I had a bigger house. Wish I had more cars. So the, the helmet of wholeness of salvation, having the mind of Christ, has now become a helmet of salivation. We salivate over everything. We're not satisfied. And so I need this and I need that. You've let me down once again. I need better. We're all salivating for better of us. Then, of course, the breastplate of rightness. We all wear it. It's got to be right according to our expectations. Competition. The breastplate of rightness. I'm right, you're wrong. 
Isn't that funny how we've got to be right and wrong? Couldn't we both be a little off? Maybe we need to come together on something, but we defend each other. Christians are always in a fight. I'm right, you're wrong. It's the breastplate of rightness. The helmet of salvation. What about this? The belt of proof. Annoyance. When you've been treated badly. I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to prove I'm right. I, we, we, again, we're in this place of being right and you're being wrong. That perfected sensibility. You have to be better than you are. You have to treat me right. Am I, am I making sense here today? Does anybody find that you're wearing this armor instead of the armor of truth, the belt of truth? We're supposed to speak the truth in love, but we speak our proof with anger. You know how we, we treat the lost with a belt of proof. Instead of speaking the truth in love, we prove them wrong. You're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, I'm right. You're wrong, I'm right. You see it everywhere, don't you? Right? The Democrats are wrong. We're right. The Republicans are right. You're wrong. The Republicans are wrong. They're right. Is there a middle ground left in this country? I'm not sure. Christians are right, everybody else is wrong. Well, we, do, we believe in truth. Do we believe in truth or do we believe in proof? Well, the truth is proven out, but the attitude behind it is what I'm talking about. And so we get this attitude of there's something wrong with everything. I'll prove it to you. How about feet shod with the preparation of peace? But I think it's the gospel's been left in pieces. Feet shod with the pieces of the gospel. We pick and choose the pieces of the gospel we want. Right? One of my favorites is don't judge me. Jesus said don't judge me. Don't judge me. You're not supposed to judge me. Who are you to judge me? Jesus is only talking about the type of judgment we're to judge with. It's the same judgment that you judgeth, you will be judged. And we will all be judged. And so we're supposed to be judging according to truth, not necessarily proving I'm right, you're wrong. Can I tell you there's a place where you can go that proves everybody wrong? It's the cross. It's the cross. And so when we come to the cross recognizing that I've been wrong, I don't have to prove anything to you, but I can walk with you to the truth. And instead of the gospel in pieces, we we decide what we're going to believe. We judge and discern that others are sinners and others are wrong, why we have contradictions in our own life. We've got sin that we're blatant about. We've got sin that we'll take care of when we need to, but I don't feel convicted yet. So we take the gospel in pieces, don't we? Jesus said to follow the whole word and the whole gospel. Then, of course, we have the yield of faith. We decide when we're going to wear our faith and when we're not going to wear our faith, right? And uh, when to speak up, when we don't speak up. We give away to arguments, demands, and pressures. And then we complain about this nation not following after Jesus when the church has carried the yield of faith continually. We decide not to speak about the Word of God. 
But again, in a way that is speaking of the righteousness of God that is a gift given to us, not poking people with our proof and deciding which part of the gospel we'll choose. And of course, last of all is the sordid spirit. Come on, the church is not walking in righteousness. Evaluate your own life. What's wrong with everything? Sin. What's wrong with you? Well, it's up to you to finish. <laughs> See, that's why I put the disclaimer here before I even began. Come on, we've got to evaluate where, our, where we are at. Judgment starts in the house of the Lord. And I think we have corrupted the armor of God to salivate over what the world has, we want more of. Look at our theology. We've made a theology to be gluttons. We've made a theology to prosper us to such a point we don't need Jesus because we're so satisfied with all the blessings he's given us. We have the breastplate of rightness. We're right, you're wrong, we win, you lose. Go to hell. Was that too harsh? We wear the belt of proof like a belt of honor. We're right, you're wrong, I can prove it to you. We take the gospel in pieces. We yield when we decide to speak up and when not to. And last of all, we have a sordid spirit. We dabble in so many things that are carnal and of this world. That's a problem, wouldn't you say? So... We've got to come up with a solution. God has a solution. How do we get past this attitude of being complainers and that everything's wrong? There are three elements I want to share with you this morning, and the first one is the element of humility. C.S. Lewis said this, humility, it's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Not, there's an ought to right? We're to consider ourselves a place where we ought to consider ourselves, esteem others more highly. But humility is not thinking less. We don't have to become less than what we should be. We just have to think about ourselves less often. And so we need to realize that humility is a time where we recognize that maybe we don't know everything. Maybe we could learn something. I mean, Balaam learned, didn't he? And his instructor was a donkey. We can all learn something. So if we become so right about everything, what we're going to find out is maybe we have missing information on some things. Maybe there's areas we could learn and grow. How many of you would believe that about yourself? It takes humility to believe that. There's an interesting concept that I learned while studying this, and that's the Dunning-Kruger effect. I don't know if you've heard of the Dunning-Kruger effect. What this originated from, the Dunning-Kruger effect originated from uh, Dunning and Kruger. How about that? In 1999, uh, Dunning did a a study because he read a newspaper article about MacArthur Wheeler. I don't know if you heard about this in 1999. MacArthur Wheeler is a guy that walked into a bank with a gun, 
tried to rob it, and immediately was captured by the police. He was stunned that he was captured and that they recognized him. Because MacArthur Wheeler took lemon juice, and knowing that you can use it like invisible ink when you write, it will disappear, he took lemon juice and rubbed it all over his face, figuring that if lemon juice makes ink disappear when you write, he would be invisible on his face. That's really stupid. (laughs) So the psychologists came along and did a study on this. (laughs) And what they recognized, as a matter of fact, that most people who are absolutely unskilled at something so often don't have the knowledge to realize they're not skilled at it, and they think they're amazing. In other words, they're too dumb to realize how bad they are. This is called American Idol. It's the part of American Idol we all love the best. When someone comes and Simon would say, you're awful! And they would be absolutely stunned. Everybody else thinks I'm amazing. That's your mother and your brother. You don't have enough information to realize that you don't know what you're talking about. Now, here's the other interesting effect is that the people who have more experience and more understanding of a situation don't produce as much confidence because they don't think that they are capable to accomplish something and in time have to learn. So we have some folks with such great confidence, you see this all the time, who don't have enough Knowledge to realize they're not very good. They think they're the greatest. But the people who begin to realize that maybe I don't have what it takes begin to move on the curve of, hmm, this is harder than I thought. This is deeper than I thought. There's more here than I even realized. And then they move into this downward trend of, I'm not good enough. This is a typical missions trip right here. You, you really, when you go, or, or when you're told to, you know, you want to go evangelize, or you want to go to witness someone, or, or this or that, and, and you feel real, I don't know if I'm good enough, and you begin. Usually about the second day of a missions trip, you think, why am I here? This is horrible. I'm the wrong person on the team, and I shouldn't be here. How many of you know the enemy loves to jump right on you at that point? This is a sense of money-making and trading. It's uh, the realizing it's too hard. But after time, how many of you do that? Walk into a situation and you're petrified. You're scared to death thinking, what am I doing here? Why am I doing this? I'm the wrong person. But then after a week or so, a little bit of time. Huh? Remember the first day of junior high? High school? Some of you still have dreams that you can't remember your locker number. How many of you? Right? 
That was terrifying. Third day and you forgot your paper as to where your classes were. How many of you have dreamt about this? You go to the wrong side of the school. Isn't it English? No, I'm supposed to be in math. Trauma. This is deep trauma. But after a while, you start doing better. You start getting it and you gain your ability and you think you've got it but you recognize you could always learn more. This is where we get humility. People with a high ability tend to underestimate their competence and presume that the tasks that are easy for them to perform are easy for everyone to perform. You see, what happens is another problem is because we get it, we've done it, we've developed it, we then think everybody else does too right? So when you walk into a fast food place or when you walk into a store or you walk into a situation where something's going on and all mayhem's broken loose, you realize, I could run this place better than every one of these people. (laughs) But you don't understand what's behind all of that or what the problem is. Humility says, you know what? I don't know everything and I don't know what's going on. Maybe I could help out instead of complain. Leadership is is very difficult in the fact that most of the time, people who are in leadership are handling many more things than you realize. It's the tip of the iceberg, what you see and what you understand. Most of us are complaining about so many... Now, again, of course we're complaining because you do have those people who put lemon juice on their face and can't figure life out. But don't they need a hand as well? We need to humble ourselves before the Lord. Humility is essential. Ephesians 4.2 says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. (laughs) Are you kidding? We don't walk like that. We're too critical of everything. We either think we're experts on everything or everybody should do it as well as we do. Right? This thing gets all messed up. So what Paul says about humility, write it down, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, is he says this, be completely, be, I'll just restate that, okay? Be completely or Let's put it in the terms of the word that I shared with you earlier. Be perfect in humility. As a whole. As a whole, be completely humble. What does that mean? Maybe I don't have all the answers. Maybe I don't know all that's going on in this situation. Maybe I don't realize what that person's going through. Instead of us complaining about everything, how about we humble ourselves completely and humble and gentle, and then he goes on and he says this, here it is, be patient. I've been patient. It's been almost three minutes. (laughs) Right? Do you remember when... (laughs) Here's a great test with, with, with patience. Uh, computers. 
Do you remember when you used to push a button and it would take about a minute and a half for something to happen? Now, our computers are not fast enough, right? I have 17 windows open and this thing is still too slow. I've closed 20. I have to wait. I have to wait. How many of you know stoplights are too long? Right? 30 seconds. Or are they 60? 45, someone said. That is just way too long. Right? This is ridiculous. Now, this all sounds so funny, but it's so tragically real. Be completely and perfectly humble and gentle. Be patient. Now, here's the last part. Bearing with one another in love. What do you think that means, bearing with one another? It means like be as angry as a grizzly. No, bearing means to support, uphold someone in love. Patience. Today will be a great exercise as you go to your favorite restaurant after church. And as you're waiting for your waitress to get the order right and then to refill your glass and then to get you the food without complaining. But how many of you know what that waitress is going through, what they've been through, what their life is like if someone didn't show up that day? Do you see what I'm saying? Is all of a sudden we're all experts at how to wait on tables. We're all experts at how to do fast food behind the counter. Well, I think I could do it a lot better than many, but... Have you ever seen some folks at the fast food? You can t- this is an amazing thing. Where they look at the order and they go, fries. And they go get the fries. And they bring the fries back. And they look, cheeseburger. And then they go get the cheeseburger. <laughs> cheeseburger. They get that. Drink. They go get the drink. It's like, you could do this a lot better. If you would think that maybe you could get the fries when you're getting the burger and the drink all at the same place and bring it back together. Think about it. Have you ever watched this? I've watched this. I've seen this. But how many of you know that quite possibly that person is so distracted because they don't get their kids that weekend, or because the kid's having trouble at school, or because they got called into an extra shift and they didn't want to be working that shift, and so forth. They're people. So we have to humble ourselves and begin to recognize that we're supposed to be carrying Christ into every situation. Could you imagine Jesus complaining at every situation? Well, he got a little upset with his disciples. Oy vey, how long am I going to be with you people? He said that a few times. Because Peter was the first one on that curve to shoot straight up and tell Jesus how to be a Messiah. Right? 
But Jesus is so patient with us. So what's the second attitude is gratitude. The way to deal with complaining about everything is to have gratitude. To be graceful, grateful. I don't know if you can read the little headline. The complaint department and the gratitude compartment. Could this, I'm just asking, could this represent your prayer life? Because I don't know about you, but that's the number one reason people don't believe in God. They complain about Him. The first complaint about God is is He's immoral. If God's such a loving God, then why do so many people die? Can I tell you something? Everybody's going to die. Everybody. Yet we, we judge God on who dies and when they die. And there's no promise to when you're going to live, how long, or however. That's not even part of the deal here. If God was going to intervene to make somebody live longer, it's going to be an answer to prayer for God's purposes and for God's design. Not because he intervened just because you wanted that person to live. There's a reason behind it all. And if he intervenes into one death, then he's going to have to intervene into every death. Oh, and by the way, he did at the cross. He intervened for every death that you may have him. But gratitude is this. In Colossians 3.16, let the teaching of Christ live, dwell inside you richly with all wisdom to teach and counsel each other, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. In other words, something's got to be birthed in your heart that causes you to sing and causes you to rejoice. That can't come from out here. How many of you know that? Anything good out here is a bonus. (laughs) But what has to happen with gratitude and a good heart has to start here, in your own heart. How many of you learned that your mate can't make you happy? Some of you are still waiting for them to make you happy. If you ain't happy in here, they can't do a thing for you. We've all got heart disease. We're all complainers, we're all sick of things, and everything's wrong with everything. But if we would flip that switch in here and begin to sing songs and spiritual songs and hymns and have our heart begin to rejoice in the goodness of God and understand who He is and have an understanding of life, gratitude will change your attitude. And to bring humility into it will bring great patience which will lead to the third element, and that's contentment. Contentment. Paul said this, Philippians 4, 11-13. He said, I'm not speaking about need because I've learned that no matter what situation I am in, I've learned to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every situation I've learned the secret of facing plenty or hungry, having abundance or being in need. And here's the secret. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can be content because I'm not dependent on something out here. I'm dependent on Christ strengthening me in here. And when I know He can strengthen me in here and my faith in my hope 
in my love, then I have gratitude in my heart, which changes my attitude towards others just to walk with humility and patience and love. So what's wrong with everything? Sin. Everything's wrong. So if you can get past that (laughs) by starting in here, then everything that's wrong doesn't change you. Christ in us is the hope of glory. Christ in us brings humility, gratitude, and being content. So folks, our complaining, our pursuit of perfection will never make us satisfied. It's not perfection and performance you should be looking for. It's wholeness, completeness, that we can be content that God is making me complete. I'm going to go on his timing instead of mine. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to have a heart of gratitude because what I have is good and I'm satisfied. Therefore, I'm going to extend this mercy to everyone else. What's wrong with everything? Everything. But what's wrong with us? With Christ. Nothing. He's made me whole and complete. Let's live it out. Would you bow your heads with me? Jesus, I ask you to help us this morning. I pray that you will recalibrate us. May the recalibration calibrate us to Jesus, not the world, not to perfection, but to completeness in Christ. That we may grow in the maturity of the full stature of Jesus. And Lord, by this word, you're calling us all out on the carpet. You're calling us all out. We've been complainers, ridiculers, frustrated that nothing seems to be right. God, we recognize nothing is right without you. But you in us makes everything right. And I pray, Holy Spirit, right now you'd minister to us. And so I'm going to all ask, if God has pierced your heart with this, if God has nailed you and identified an issue, that you recognize that you need greater humility, contentment, and gratitude, then stand. I want to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to release the ministry of Jesus on us.